So some of you have asked, okay, and just so everybody knows, I'm the one going to Germany, Sandy's staying home. Uh, part of that is because I don't even know where I'm going in Germany, okay? Um, and so I'm kind of, this is kind of winging it, and uh, not sure where all these travels are going to take us. Um, so we just thought it probably best this time around, seeing the details are a little scant, might be just best for one of us to be lost in Europe rather than two of us. Um, but I am certainly grateful and thankful for a wife who uh, allows me to make these kind of trips as well. And uh, I know it, it means more work at home and difficulties and who knows what's going to break. But uh, so um, being in prayer for her as well, that things go well at home for this uh, week, week and a half. So. We turn in God's Word to Galatians chapter 3, and you might say, weren't we there a few weeks ago with Dr. Wallacord? Absolutely, we were, okay? But one sermon is not going to unpack, even though it might have been a little long for little farms, uh, even though uh, he unpacked it quite well for us, and uh, we have no difficulties with that. There's more. There's more than, than where we were there. And so I want to concentrate our thoughts on, on just that verse 27 when we come to it. And this is the verse. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So we're in the part of the Westminster Confession that's dealing with sacraments. I have the privilege tonight of dealing with the chapter that deals with the sacrament of baptism. Next Lord's Day evening, the Lord willing... Brother Mark will deal with uh, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. But here it is, right? It's right before us in this verse. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And yet we need to hear it in the context of the passage. So let's go back to verse 1, Galatians 3, and hear the breathed out word of God to us this evening. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. For the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by faith. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, 
so that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say unto offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterwards did not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of the transgressions when the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned, until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you then are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs. According to promise. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this time that we can spend in your house. We thank you for the portion of your word that was read tonight and heard read. We ask that your spirit would apply that to our lives. Give Pastor Bob the words to speak tonight as he explains this passage to us. That we have, might come to a more fuller understanding of your word. And that we would grow closer to our Lord and Savior. In his name we pray, amen. And amen. So we want to look at three things from this passage tonight. First of all, the foolishness that Paul speaks of, of salvation by law. The foolishness of salvation by law. Secondly, the promise of salvation by grace. And then thirdly, the union with Christ by baptism. And because that is where we are in the confession, that, that's the main part of what we want to get to. So parts one and two are necessary in order that we can get to three, but I'm not going to delve into them deeply because our brother Dr. Wallacord has done so a few weeks ago in that regard. But that particular verse, verse 27, is the one that we want to spend some time tonight unpacking. But first of all, as Paul begins this chapter, he begins by saying to the Galatians, you're foolish, you're foolish. Well, in what sense are they foolish? They're foolish if they think that somehow or another salvation can be gained by observing the law. That's foolishness, Paul says. It's a foolish prospect. 
to think that in some way, by obeying God's law, we will be able to save ourselves. Paul says, you Galatians, you ought to know how foolish that is. So understand what's happened here, right? In the churches of Galatia. Paul has come. He has gone on a missionary journey. He has clearly, as he says in this passage, portrayed Christ as crucified. He didn't come to them portraying uh, the, the Torah and saying you must obey the law in order to be saved. Your salvation is dependent upon your lawful obedience. For by that no one can be saved because no one can keep the law perfectly. So what did Paul portray to them? He portrayed Christ crucified. What happened? The Galatians heard that message. They received that message. And they were saved. But now, in Paul's absence, false teachers have come in who are trying, and, and, and they're false teachers in the sense of, of saying, we think you need to go back to the law. You're never really going to be saved. Jesus is nice. It's okay. But you really need to be in obedience to the law for your salvation. Now, they're not saying you ought to be in obedience to the law and do what God commands because, after all, he saved you in Christ. That would be a different story. But they're saying in teaching these people, no, you have to observe the Jewish rites, the Jewish customs, the Jewish feasts, the Jewish sacrifices, or you will never be saved. So it sort of cancels out Christ is what is going on. Now that's what's there. And so before, here, here sit the Galatians in these churches going, what, am I, what are we supposed to do? Paul said this. These teachers are saying this. What, what are we supposed to do? And Paul says, you're foolish. You're foolish if you think that now, once having been saved by Christ, in Christ, you can go back to the law and that will now become your salvation. So what Paul is referring to and appealing to is their own conversion. He says to them, right, verse 2, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing with faith? What he's putting before them is this. You lived your whole life. There you were in Galatia. You were faithful Jewish people. You were seeking to observe the law. Uh, you didn't do a very good job of it. You sinned. You failed. Uh, did the Spirit accompany any of that? Mm, no. No. There was no evidence of the work of the Spirit in that. What happened when, when you heard about Christ and you believed, hearing you believed in Christ? What happened? Well, the Spirit was poured out upon us. So in your own conversion, hearing about Christ resulted in the gift of the Spirit Observing the law gave you nothing. Why would, why would you give up Christ then? That'd be foolishness. So he's appealing to their own personal experience of their conversion from Judaism to Christianity. And he says, that ought to tell you. Your own experience ought to tell you the fact that, that when you came to believe in Christ, your guilt was gone. That 
ought to tell you that you can never be saved by works of the law. Secondly, he tells them down in verse 10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Okay, not only should your own experience of conversion tell you, but here's the truth. If you rely upon the law for your salvation, you are always and will always and will always be under God's condemnation. You will always be under a curse. You cannot, you cannot achieve salvation by obedience and relying upon the works of the law. And anybody who does so is under a curse. For it is written, so now he's going back to the word, for it is written, curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. You miss it on just one point, you're under the curse. How are you ever going to achieve salvation by the law and by works of the law if all are under a curse? Foolishness to go back there. Third, verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from that curse by becoming a curse for us and then canceling out, right, that condemnation. He became the curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs upon a cross, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Why is salvation by works of the law foolishness? Your own conversion ought to tell you. The word ought to tell you, because the word says, cursed is everyone who relies on the works of the law. Plus, Christ canceled the curse. Christ's death on the cross is the act by which your condemnation is canceled. Not your observance and reliance upon the law. It's foolishness. To rely upon salvation by law. Secondly, Paul then says, salvation comes to us by means of God's promises. And he points us to Abraham. Nobody appears more, in the, as far as in, in humanity is concerned, nobody appears more in chapter 3 than Abraham. Right? We have him appearing in verse 6, verse 7, verse 8, verse 9, verses 15 through 29. Paul's reason for raising Abraham is to demonstrate to them, Abraham did not have the law. Abraham lived before the law was given. Abraham lived, I believe he states it, 430 years before the law. Yet Abraham is considered righteous. How can you be righteous by the works of the law if there is no law even given? So he's pointing out to them that, that the gift of salvation by grace, this promise of God, has nothing to do with the law, but 
everything to do with God's promise to save and to deliver through Jesus Christ. That our salvation is never through our own works, our own rites, our own rituals, our own actions. Salvation is always through God's promise of Christ. What saved Abraham? He didn't even have the laws regarding sacrifices. What saved him? Trespass offering? He didn't even know what it was. Sin offering? He didn't know what it was. The law had not yet been given. So Paul, first of all, points to Abraham over and over and over again because every Jewish person knows and understands the fact that Abraham came before Moses. I hope we know that, right? Okay. Did they ask you that in your English Bible exam, Mark? Who came first, Abraham or Moses? Or did they assume you might have known that one? They probably assumed it. But you see, sometimes we act upon ignorance. Moses, Moses, Moses and the law. Well, yeah, but what about Abraham? So Paul's simply pointing out at a historical fact that Abraham lives before Moses, yet Abraham is considered righteous. Now I want you to notice the second thing that Paul does in this regard. He not only points to Abraham, listen to the quote. Verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now Paul is forming that in the form of a question, right? You go back to verse 5, but the positive way of stating it is this. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And you say, do you have the right to say that? Absolutely, because that's what Paul's quoting. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 15. Okay. The question is not there in Genesis 15. The, the statement is in regards to Abraham. So it's Genesis 15 verse 6. So God comes, makes his covenant of grace with Abraham, chapter 15. Then he said to him, this is the end of all the promises, behold, you have given me no offspring, and remember, and then the Lord comes, verse 4, that man, the servant, shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir, okay? God says, go outside, look at heaven, there's the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he, that is Abraham, believed the Lord. And he, that is the Lord, counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham's faith is counted to him as righteousness. Not his observance of the law, but his faith. And as every good student knows, where does faith come from? Faith is the gift of God. God gives to Abraham faith to believe his promises, the promise of Christ. 
And in believing the promise that comes to him as a gift of looking to Christ, as we sang in that beautiful hymn a few minutes ago, God counts it as righteousness. Oh, foolish Galatians, why, why would you leave Christ and go back to the law? And now Paul says, let me give you another reason. Because you are in union with Christ. You are already in union with Christ. You don't need to go back to the law. You don't need to do that. There'd be no reason. There'd be no purpose. The law can only condemn. It cannot save. Besides, let me tell you that you're in a union with Christ. That's where we come to verse 27. Okay? Let's look at it again. Lost my place. There it is. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So we learned last week that there are sacraments. There are two, right? Sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Sacraments are signs and seals, okay, that are an outward expression that point us to a spiritual reality. Okay, let's put on last night, last week's sermon. Okay, look at verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ. Okay. How are we baptized into Christ? What what does that expression mean? That we're baptized into Christ. Now notice what Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say you were baptized into In the name of Christ. See, being baptized in the name of Christ is different than being baptized into Christ. One involves the claim. The other involves a relationship. What Paul is doing here is he is saying that the effect of baptism happens only by faith. It's not an automatic. See, then we'd be relying upon a right. Then we'd be relying upon the flesh. If all it means to be a Christian is to have some water placed upon me and and the pastor to say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If, If that's all it means to be a Christian, then it takes no faith. Then it then it's just an outward thing. Right? Then it's then the sign has become the thing itself. But what Paul is saying here by being baptized into Christ is there is a difference between having this and being baptized into Christ. However, being baptized into Christ cannot happen without being baptized in the name of Christ. 
But being baptized in the name of Christ doesn't automatically mean I'm in Christ. Because the only way I can be in Christ is by faith. Is by faith. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. The only way I can be covered in the righteousness of Christ, the only way I can be righteous, is by faith. That's the whole point that the confession is making in regards to sacraments, in regard to this sacrament, and I don't want to take all the wind out of Mark's sails, but this sacrament. Keeping the sacrament itself is a good thing. Doing it is a good thing. But don't ever think that the thing itself is the salvation. It's only pointing us to the necessity of Christ and believing in Christ and knowing Christ and loving Christ and serving Christ. Having faith in Christ. Now where does that faith come from? God. It's God's gift. Faith is always the gift of God. Faith is never that which arrives in us. How much faith does it take to be in Christ? If you have the faith the size of a grain of mustard seed. Does Jesus acknowledge that sometimes faith is small? Absolutely. Does the word teach us that you can grow in faith? That you can deepen your faith? Absolutely. That's what we mean by the means of grace. The means of grace are that which God has appointed as the means by which our faith grows and builds and strengthens. Through the preaching of the word, through the sacraments, and through prayer, our faith grows and develops. And you say, where are you going with all of this, Pastor Bob? Where I'm going with this is how can you deny the fact that God might give into the heart and soul of an infant faith? How, how, how do we determine? Oh, God only gives faith at 12 years old. God only gives faith at 18 years old. God only gives faith when you're 30. God only gives faith when you're seven. Who are we to determine when God gives faith? See, the, the part of the whole basis of, of the reason why we baptize infants is we don't know because we can't control God. It may be very well that the child who is baptized at five days old, eight days old, two weeks, three months, God has already granted the gift of faith. But you see, they're saved not because they're baptized. But because of faith in Christ. And I don't get to decide when that is. God does. That's grace. God decides. That's grace. I'm certainly glad a church doesn't gather together and say, we have determined that no one of this age can ever have faith. How can we know the mind of God? 
Let me ask you a question. Do you think John the Baptist had faith when he met Jesus Christ? Oh, yeah, he said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. No, 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 the first time they met. When Elizabeth is there and Mary comes and the child within Elizabeth leaps for joy at the presence of Christ. Do you think he had faith? He's in his mother's womb. But he had faith. See, we don't get to determine it. That, that's the point of where the catechism, or where the confession takes us at this point in regards to baptism. Okay? It's not the external act. It's that which it portrays. Yet, the external act is important. We don't just brush it away. We just don't say, well, being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit doesn't matter. Of course it matters. Because we're commanded to do it. But in the midst of that, in the midst of that comes this beauty. That Paul says, to be in Christ though, to be baptized into Christ. Not just to be baptized, but to be baptized into Christ. You see, that's... That takes faith. But that faith is the gracious gift of God. That's the, that's, that's the blessing of the sacrament. It's the gracious provision of our triune God. And that even though sometimes that faith is small and little, it can move mountains. And that faith can grow and build, strengthen and develop. That's why there's such a responsibility that Christ gives right in that, in that great commission. Go and baptize. Then your job is done. No. Baptize and then disciple. Train, build up, strengthen them in Christ. Listen to the verse. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So by faith, my baptism brings me into Christ. By faith, not just the act of baptism, but by faith, my baptism brings me into Christ so that I have put on Christ. And everywhere I looked about this put on, it, it comes back to the same idea. It's to put on. It's to put on. It's, it's, it's to be covered with Christ. Some of you are old enough to remember varsity jackets. Right? How many of you remember varsity jackets? Right? Oh. More than I thought. You're older than I thought you were. Right? Huh? Or maybe you've just watched Happy Days enough, you know that, and what a varsity jacket is. Right? Remember that? Okay? Remember, remember that, that cool jacket? You, you got to wear it, and it had kind of leather here and some colors here. Right? And it was like, yeah. And then, they, then you get your letter on your varsity jacket. Right? You know? 
CC, Calvin Christian, right? And, and then you get the pins, right, for baseball, for golf, and all those other things you get yourself involved in. And you, you wear your varsity jacket, right? You wear it to the store. You wear it to McDonald's. You wear it to Russ's. You wear it to the bowling alley. You wear that varsity jacket everywhere. And if your mom and dad didn't say it, you would have wore it to church. They probably said, no, that draws the line. You wore it everywhere. You were, you were delighted to wear that varsity jacket. To be identified, right, as that athlete. To be identified as the athlete from that school. Oh, you wore that jacket. I know, we should have given them for band and choir. and We should have given them for academics. and We should have given them for a lot of things, but we didn't. We wore them. Put on Christ. Put on Christ. Wear him in such a way. Wherever you go, whatever you do. You're wearing Christ. He's there. He is a part of you. You are in union with him. You're, you're united to him. In a union. You're joined together with him in such a way. That you have put him on. And you never take him off. If you could. Right? That varsity jacket. You probably would have slept with it. You probably would have showered with it. Right? Yeah. You take Christ. Wherever. You don't hide it. You don't cover it over. You're not afraid of it. You're not ashamed of it. You're not ashamed of him. You put on Christ. You know what? Everybody in that era could identify who you were by that jacket. You were a squire, you were a bronco, you were a crusader, you were an eagle, you were a Kennewa Hills knight, you were a red hawk. You wore the jacket and everybody knew it. Everybody knew who you were by the jacket you wore. Put on Christ. Put him on. Wear him. May your relationship be with him, with him be so strong, so powerful, so united. Because that's, you see, what happens to us in baptism. By baptism into Christ, by faith in Christ, we have put on Christ so that it is evident to all wherever we go. And you know what? In Christ. We all wear the same jacket. All of us as Christians, we wear the righteousness of Christ wherever we go. And what that righteousness of Christ does, it takes away distinctions in Christ. So, whether we're free or whether we're a slave, we're in Christ. We recognize one another because we wear the righteousness of Christ, male or female, slave or free. We're one in Christ. 
Jew or Greek. We're one in Christ. Because we're in Christ. And we wear the righteousness of Christ. It doesn't mean there aren't males and females and there weren't Jews and Greek. But in Christ, you see, we all wore, we all wear the same clothes. His righteousness. What a beauty God has given to us in his wisdom with giving a sacrament, a sacrament of baptism by which we are united with Christ in faith in such a strong, bold relationship that we live out Christ from day to day. May God be pleased bless us in this way in the attire we choose to wear today tomorrow 24-7 Christ all the grace to do so oh foolish Galatians why why would you ever go back to the works of the law you are in union with Christ. Amen? Amen.